wanted to sit one more time, at least part of what I would like to do is sit a little bit more with Paul and Barnabas. We've spent a lot of time talking about this team, how they formed the first missionary team, really, that ever took the message of Jesus outside safe places into the Gentile world, and, and how Barnabas was the older leader, and Paul um, had this, you know, really, I guess, bad past, and yet he had become this fully committed follower of Jesus, this great leader, actually, in the church, former Pharisee. We talked a lot about that. We talked also about their differences, and I wanted to settle into that a little bit more and just kind of reflect around it, particularly from the lens of how they were different kinds of leaders. And then I also would like us to introduce a third person into this discussion, someone who's going to actually become prominent in the Bible. Uh, he's a young man, actually. His name is Timothy, and we're going to talk about Timothy as well. But again, I mentioned that for the past few weeks, we've been really talking about how different Paul and Barnabas were. Barnabas comes across as this... Um, I guess the best way to describe him, he's extraordinarily relational. He really loves people. He's a very people-oriented person. He's, he's someone who has a kind of, the way the Bible pictures him, he's gregarious, he's big-hearted, he's generous. And yet there's also, but yet he's not one of those, like, you know, someone who can't be serious either. So he's got this really interesting combination as a personality, as a leader. He, he's highly respected, very deeply loved. In fact, you could argue legitimately he was the most loved um, leader in the early church. And just in terms of his overall kind of bearing and personality and temperament, we know this because we're told something about him. In uh, Acts 4, verses, verse 36, it says this, because we know that Barnabas wasn't even his real name. It was actually his nickname. His real name was Joseph. Look what it says. It says, for instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That was his nickname, the encourager. Because he was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus. I mean, the nickname is revealing, because it tells us, honestly, it tells us how special he was, how much he was appreciated, how much he was loved. I mean, to, to be known as the encourager, right? The one who, we talked about that word even, right? The word encouragement. We think of it as a soft word, and it is. You know, he really encouraged me. That, that oftentimes speaks of someone who's identifying with us in our down place, but at its root, we talked about this, the word itself at its core has to do with courage. It has to do with the impart imparting of courage, strength, um, a sort of way of instilling a resiliency in us. Blessed is the person who has encouragers, Barnabases in their lives. Because when we are encouraged, a lot of times it gives us strength to push forward and to keep going. Barnabas was one of those people. He was one of those who, leaders who believed in people, uh, he loved people. In fact, it was Barnabas, as I mentioned, who had believed in Saul when very few people did. Remember when Saul has that experience on the road to Damascus, that for those three days, it was like he was in the womb and was going to come out a new man. Like an, it's, it's interesting, three days of blindness, and I think of three days of Jesus in the grave and coming out in a new life. And just like Paul would later say, like going into the waters of baptism and coming out new man. He, but no one believed that Saul had actually changed. It was Barnabas, the one who loved people, believed in people, the encourager who put his arm around him, put his reputation on the line and said, you know what? Even though you have been a hazard to the church and a lot of people are afraid of you, legitimately so, I believe in what you're saying and I want to welcome you in. And not only do I want to welcome you in to this community of Jesus. But I want you to be 
able to meet a lot of other people. And I will be the one who introduces you to them. It was a beautiful gesture. And so, you know, when we look at what's going on here, and I would like us to read, again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these verses 36 through 41 because we covered them, but I do want to read through them. So Acts 15, verse 36, it says, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. So remember that first time they had gone out, they, built, they really helped start all these, we would call them new little churches. They were little communities of believers that had been planted in these cities in, in, in an area that we call Asia Minor, uh, today modern-day Turkey. And they had planted those churches, but they hadn't been able to go back and connect with them. It had been well over a year. And uh, Barnabas and Paul are talking about it. And Paul says, you know what I feel like we need to do? We need to go back and visit them. We need to go back and see how they're doing. We put leaders in place. We encourage them. Um, they have the, the scriptures to draw from. But when it comes to just their, their growth and, and what's been happening in their community, we need to go see it. And, and that, by the way, was not just some, you know, oh, yeah, let's go on a trip and, and, and have a, a great adventure. Because if you recall, last time they had done this, it had almost cost them both their lives. And Paul literally had been, you know, brought to a point where actually people thought he was dead. His body still bore the wounds of the assault that he had endured in Lystra. So when he says, hey, Barnabas, let's go back, that was like, oh, this, it was not just some casual, you know, let's, yeah, yeah, let's go do that. No, it meant something to go back, to put yourself in places where you could really be harmed. It was not easy. We know Paul had gotten very sick. Many people believe with malaria when he was in the, in the hills country. Um, you know, it was not an, and there was, there was constant vulnerability to being robbed. Um, you didn't always come, you, you wouldn't necessarily come back alive. So they talked about it. Let's go do this. And Barnabas says, I think it's a great idea. Barnabas agreed. He wanted to take along John Mark, verse 37. John Mark was the one who had started out with them. He was the younger assistant, remember? He had started out, but then early on in the, in the missionary journey, he had, he had quit and he went back home and he said, I can't do it. Paul really had bothered Paul that he had been sort of like abandoned by John Mark. Look what it says. Paul, Paul, when he hears about Barnabas saying, you know, I think we should take John with us. Paul says, no, he's the last person I want with us. Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they decided actually that, they, that maybe the Lord didn't want him to, to stick and do this together. Maybe he had a different plan and he wanted him to go in different directions with different ministry partners. And so Barnabas takes John Mark with him. He sails to Cyprus. Paul chooses Silas, and he left. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. And he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Put the map up real quick. Again, just because I want everybody to get good geographical understanding of what we've been talking about. Bible takes place, especially the book of Acts, in real places. You know, um, I mean, all of it is, is actually, you know, happened but a lot of times when we read the book of Acts, we don't really appreciate what's actually going on, the extent of the travels. And we know that basically the red line is only traces the step of Paul and Silas, who had been a leader in the church of Jerusalem. But we know that John, Mark, and Barnabas, they head to Barnabas's home, his home place, um, Cyprus, birthplace. And they work with the churches there. Paul decides that instead of going the other route that they had taken, which was by sea, remember they had gone first, on the first journey they had gone to Cyprus. From Cyprus they had sailed to the mainland, crossing the Mediterranean. And then they had gone up into those cities. You can see them, 
you know, Italia, you know, the whole pergola, and then you see Antioch, a different Antioch, Pisidia. And then you see where Lystra and Derbe and Iconium, those cities. Okay, that's where they had planted those churches. The last stop had been Derby, which was a, a pretty good, it was, it was interesting because Derby is going to be the, the place where they make their, that their first stop, really, on their revisit back. Paul wants to go back. He's going to go by land this time. So he's going to go north. Barnabas goes basically west. Paul's going to go north and then west. And then he, what his plan is, he's going to stop by what is his hometown, Tarsus. This is in the area of Cilicia. And then he's going to go up into revisit the churches that they had visited the first time around a couple of years ago, see how they're doing, encourage them. That's what we're told. It's interesting because, you know, I look at, I look at that and, and I'm watching how different these, these guys were. And I realize that that difference is, is never shows up more remarkably than here. And part of it has to do with the fact that they, they really did have different values. Um, Barnabas uh, had a, a kind of nature, if we can put it this way, that was far more, again, people-oriented and accommodating. And a lot of people believe, well, you know, how, why did they disagree so much? I think a lot of it had to do with they were dispositionally different. Their personalities were different. Their leadership styles were different. And many of us can relate to different ones. I've heard a lot of discussion about, ah, oh, you know, I tend to connect more with Barnabas. I tend to connect more with Paul. You know, Barnabas, um, when, he, when he decides to give John Mark the second chance, he's just being consistent with who he's been, right? He's not, he's not trying to be anything other than what he was. So what he did with Paul, he does with John Mark. He was, again, that people-oriented guy. One historian, he's a missiologist, that means he studies cross-cultural ministry, mission work. See, Peter Wagner wrote this about Barnabas's leadership style. I thought it was interesting. He said, for someone who's people-oriented like Barnabas, peace and harmony are high values. Being is seen as superior to doing. Process is often even more important than the goals. How, like, discipline is usually not strictly applied, especially when, and it's an interesting phrase he uses, when it might clash with contentment. In other words, when it might disturb the peace. We prefer to have everybody, I almost, when I think of Barnabas, I think of someone saying, okay, is everybody good? We're all good here, right? This idea that I want everybody to be in a good place. I don't want us to be having these clashes. I don't want to have an environment where everybody's out to get one another. I would love for, in fact, he would almost say just achieving a goal is not maybe as important as how we are with one another getting there. So his idea is being a, a, more of a people approach to things. It's part of what made him who he was. Peace is a priority. How we get there is just as important as getting there. Now, Barnabas's style, which is very compelling, you know, it's not that it doesn't have some weak aspects to it, but you contrast it with Paul as a leader, and it's very fascinating to see it. It's like Paul is a very different leadership animal, right? He's intense, he's focused, he's detailed, he's strategic. It doesn't mean that Barnabas wasn't detailed or strategic, but Paul, for him, things like discipline and loyalty, which is why he has such a hard time with John Mark. He felt like he had abandoned him and quit. That, that the idea of mission, that's what's important. It's not that he didn't love people, he loved people. In fact, he, he felt like he was called to reach people for Jesus. He gave his... Basically, he said, you know what? I've been called to take this message of Jesus to the Gentile world. I, I, I want everyone to come to the saving knowledge of the Lord, and I will put my life on the line. In fact, later on, he would say, and not just for the Gentiles, he said, but, and he was Jewish, he would say, and for my own people. 
I want them so badly, he says, to, to see Yeshua as Messiah. He says, and, and then he made this one statement. He said, I would even give my own life to have my own people come to know him. It was a, it was a love, he loved people, but he, his love for people showed up in a different way. Now, you, you know what's amazing is when Barnabas and Paul, when you put them together, their dispositional and their and, and tendencies and their temperament, when they worked, it was a beautiful thing to see. They were so complementary. Barnabas, a people person, Paul, a little bit more focused in nature and intense. Together, they had a just great teamship. And oftentimes, when we can work with people or when we're connecting with people who are different than us, it can be a real benefit. Because in areas where we're not as strong, someone else is a little more sensitive. One area where someone else might, we might be given towards maybe being overly accommodating or not wanting to confront something because we just want to keep the peace. And so we might even sometimes just suppress how we feel because, after all, keeping the peace is what's most important. That can also be dangerous. Then there's also sometimes a, a downside to someone who's just always got to speak their mind. It's just, I got to say how it is, you know? Both are, there's balances in both directions. When you, when you can work together and complement one another, it can become enormously effective. And I think Paul and Barnabas were a very complementary, effective team. But their differences meant that they saw things sometimes differently. They put the accent in different places. And as long as they appreciated those differences, they, they were powerful. And as long as they took them into account and stayed spirit-directed, I mean, it, they, they had an astonishing impact. But what happens is, and John Mark, I don't think he, had, I know he did not intend to be the catalyst that ultimately come, becomes the fissure that divides them. But what happened is their personalities, which were working together in such complementary ways, because of what happens with John Mark, Barnabas loves him, wants to give him a second chance. Paul genuinely believes he cannot afford to take a risk with someone who's proven to be so unstable and untrustworthy when the heat was on that what they were doing was so important they couldn't risk that as the training moment. That genuine disagreement, and maybe it catches Paul off guard, Barnabas, that Barnabas takes such a strong stance because that's maybe not what Barnabas typically would do. But when you hit his passion, you hit something that he could stand on. And so they went at each other in a strong disagreement. And I believe over time basically said, you know what? We're never going to see eye to eye on this. We agree to disagree in terms of how we're approaching this. Why don't you go with Silas? And, or Paul said, I'll take Silas. And you go ahead with John Mark. And may the Lord be with you. And may the Lord be with you. But that's what happens. And again, I, you know, I, I, was, I was kind of, uh, my, wife, we, my wife and I were talking about this because we were, uh, as more than a few of us, we've been sort of going back and forth saying, you know, not identically, but we were talking about, yeah, you know, a lot, a lot of times, you know, we have different, different personalities and such. And we were just joking because we said, boy, we are, so, think, she goes, we are so different, right? And so, you know, look, this year, will be our 30th year married together, right? So that's like, that's a long time, right? For me, anyway, I think of it as a long time. So I, we were talking about, we were going, you know, that, that, that diff, we're, we're very different. I mean, she's so intense, focused, detailed, and uncaring. I am gentle, soft, and meek, and so. <laughs> hey, why are you laughing? That's not funny. No. The, the truth is, she is like a very, she, lo she loves, wow, still laughing, all right. Um, she really loves people, and so there's a softness to her and an accommodation, a real hospitality spirit. 
You know, and we were, just, we were just sitting with each other. We were having this discussion yesterday. She said, what are you going to be preaching about? I was like, you know, I'm going to sit some more with Paul and Barnabas a little bit. And we were talking about the differences. And we were, just, we were just kind of laughing together and also thinking about things together. And we both came to the conclusion that what really has saved our marriage has been, when it's all said and done, the grace of God. Because we, are so, we were so different that there inevitably comes moments where those differences are going to be, there's pressure applied. And, and you get seasons when enormous pressure is applied. And in those seasons, those differences can easily become fisher moments. And I know it's a different analogy. I get it. You know, ministry is very different than marriage. I'm not trying to make the congruency. I was actually trying to make the congruency between personality types and temperaments. And just how sometimes we're, we see things differently and our values sometimes are different. And it, all it takes is like a John Mark situation for it to really become a potential way of, of, of deep difference that emerges. If we're not careful, but under the grace of God, it can, it can really destroy a friendship. And so we have to be extra careful to take into account not only who we are. So I, I say to someone, you know what? Someone says, well, you talk, we talk a lot about knowing ourselves. Yeah, I know, but I'm not talking about so that we can think, think you know, just stay so self-focused. I'm saying knowing ourselves because we all have those blind spots. And even our strengths have weaknesses attached to them. Everything that we are as a person has a potential to also be our own enemy. And so the more we understand each other, the more we understand who we are, the more we understand our temperaments, I, I actually think that's, that's actually a strength because it gives us at least a framework for knowing how we tend to respond in given situations. It doesn't mean we always get it right. But part of the Lord's growth process for our life is to teach us how to learn how to be more adaptable, to shear off some of those rough edges, not being anything less than what we're supposed to be as his followers, but at the same time learning sometimes that, you know, not everybody sees it exactly the way we do and experiences it. And that, that can be a real benefit, but it can also be something that, if we're not careful, can, can divide us. So uh, let's go back then to that. What I think is one of the, it's, it's read fast. You read verse 1 of Acts 16, which is our last verse that we're looking at here. And it's easy to rush past it, not even appreciate what's actually happening. Um, but look what it says. It says that Paul fir went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, again, go uh, real quick. I'm not going to spend a lot, but I just want us to see this. Go back to the map again. This is what happens. Remember how the first time on the first missionary journey, Paul had got, ended his journey in Derby. That had been the place of peace. G. Campbell Morgan says, Derby was the place of peace. Lystra was the place of stones. Remember the first time Paul went and Barnabas went to Lystra? The very first time when they came up around, Paul had this, this devastating moment. In a, in a man who had experienced huge moments of trauma. He, he, he would list the different things he had endured, shipwrecks, deprivation, whippings on posts, 39 strides. He was talking about how much he had suffered at the hands of people physically, emotionally. Um, but he says, and there was even, I've been shipwrecked, he said as well, just in the water, um, you know, in the utter darkness. He says, but there was one time where I was stoned to a point where I was almost a dead man as the rocks hit my body. And he's talking about that moment on their first journey when he had, as the spokesman, after the healing of the crippled man, um, something had transpired, a mob came in, a mob mentality ensued, 
Paul was saying, we're not gods, don't worship us. Somehow it got turned from euphoria into violence. Before long, everybody was saying, kill him! And they started pelting him with, with rocks. We talked about that. How they, got, they only stopped because it looked like he was dead. He had got knocked out unconscious, bleeding, crumpled to the ground, limp, so limp that they just drug him out of town and tossed him like a piece of refuse outside the town. Get out of here. And when they dispersed, Paul was lying there, and the disciples, that is the followers who had it believed, including Barnabas, who was his partner, but could do nothing to stop it, gathered around Paul, thinking he's dead. And remember what had happened is that to everybody's dismay, he, he awakens, and he slowly gets up, and then he begins to make his way, and he starts to recover his strength, He's bleeding. They care for him a little bit. He comes back into the town with the, the small believing community. We were made up of a few people. All right? We know that one of those families was a, most likely in that crowd that had gathered around Paul on that first time witnessing the trauma and the violence. I mean, to witness it with your own eyes, to watch this happen to somebody, in and of itself would have been traumatic to do nothing about it, to be absolutely astonished at what had happened to this, this Paul, this man, who they had re admired, this former Pharisee who was telling them about Messiah, and to watch him be like he was. We know that there were some of those early believers in Lystra. We know that a couple of their names. There was an older woman there, most likely, who was watching it as well. We know that, that she was a grandmother, her name was Lois, and she had a daughter named Eunice. And, they had a, and then Eunice had a son who was a grandson of the, of the grandmother, and that son's name was Timothy. And Timothy was a young man, and they would have all been watching. We know that we're told here some things about Timothy, because you've got to remember that for them, this must have been an amazing moment. Because not only, you think about what happens. Because not only does Paul get up on that first time, about two years before what we're reading about here, but he, he goes, the next day he and Barnabas leave. Um, his, yeah, he's still recovering. He's, they leave, they go to Derby. That's their last stop. And remember how we talked about this? I know not everybody will, but when they had got to Derby, they would have been the easy route just to go right back down south and go home. But what Paul says is, you know what? We're going back. And he turns around and, he, and, and days later, weeks later, returns and retraces the steps. We're going to go back and we're going to encourage everybody that we helped find Jesus. And Barnabas, maybe they said, are you sure we should go back to Lystra? We've got to go back. And he says, the Lord wants me to go back. I need to go back. And he gets there. And can you imagine how Timothy and the rest of that, that young community must have felt when they saw Paul? the one who had basically been beaten to a point of death, now all of a sudden walking back into town. I mean, that's the stuff of legends. He never forgot that, I'll guarantee you that. And he, Paul, came back. And he taught us. And he shared about what Jesus can do. He modeled it. He was stunning. I've never forgotten it. I mean, that's what was going on there. All right? And so what I, one thing about Timothy is that Timothy was... We know um, not just anybody. He would ultimately become one of the early church leaders. He was destined to become a great pastor. Um, his bond with Paul, his bond with Paul, would become so strong 
that in his letters to Timothy, two of which are books of the New Testament, we call them the part of the, the section known as the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters. Two of those letters were saved and have become part of the scripture. And those letters to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, are filled with meaning. And in it, he talks about how Timothy, Paul writes, as a much older man, he says, Timothy, you hold a singular place in my heart. I believe it was in, in uh, the first, in fact, he opens it up. He, he opens the first letter up. I believe it's 1 Timothy 1, 2, where he says, I have no one else like you, Timothy. There is no one like you in my life. You are to me, he will later say, you are to me like a, a, a son. You are my son in the faith. He, Timothy was someone who Paul had come to love deeply. He, he had a unique background um, part of Paul's love for him initially would have been connected to just what Timothy himself represented. Because remember, Paul's calling, had a, he, Paul felt a dual calling. His, he was a, Paul felt called to two cultures. He was called to his own culture, his Jewish people. He was also felt called to the Gentile world, to the Greek world. And he knew that's where God had called him. So he has these two passions. And in Timothy is the embodiment of those passions. Because Timothy is ha his, his, Timothy's mother and grandma, he's, they're Jewish. So but then his father is Greek and apparently not a believer. And so Timothy is the physical embodiment of the two things that, that Paul lo loves. And he sees him. And, he, and, and, and there's something about this combination of, two, of, of the two things that he loves the most. And then the sincerity in this remarkable man. And then something that in his in of itself just... When you think about it, it's so amazing, it's so beautiful, was that this young man, this young man who was destined to become just such a blessing to Paul's life, think about it for a moment. This jewel of a young man, this beloved son in the faith, had been given to him, had emerged, had been formed, listen, out of the very place the very place where he had been beaten to the point of death. It was out of the, it was out of the stones that the gem came. How good is that? I mean, it was out of the place where he had experienced enormous pain and scarring that the most unexpected gift in his life emerged. There is such a beauty in that, that the one, it would, that the one who would become the unparalleled delight in his life, none, I have none like him that that came out of the very place where he had had his worst experience, physically speaking. That's intense. There's so much there for you and me. I mean, there is so much there. I'll just close, you know, I'll just sort of, I'm gonna have us just sit with this for a moment. And I'm gonna put this up. Because I've been thinking about it. I was going, Lord, remind me. Lord, number one, just don't let me fear the difficult places in life. The places that are really hard. Um, those of us who would follow Jesus, and I know not all of us are maybe even totally there yet, but many of us have been for a long time. Others have just starting out. Some of us get right ready to. But when we follow Christ, listen, even sometimes the worst places, what I'm going to call them the traumatic places. Again, what was Lystra for Paul? It was a place of scarring. His body reminded him of Lystra. I remember Lystra. That was the place where he suffered 
I don't even remember. I was so beaten, I lost consciousness. It was the place of deep wounding, deep scarring, deep trauma. That was an intense place. It was there for us, it may be a place of defeat, a place of failure, a place of great hardship where we are actually suffering. And it has to do with a relationship or an internal struggle. But out of that dark place, out of that place, out of that Lystra place, out of that, that place, we, you know, who can say how God will show up if we will simply, I don't want to say simply, maybe that's not even fair, if we will place things at his feet and trust him with our wounds, God will do this. And this is what I'm just noting. God can take out of what I call the worst and he can bring about the wonderful. And that's more than a slogan. Because when, when you think about it, out of the place of stoning, out of the place of, of suffering, that's, when Timoth- that's where Timothy emerges. And that's what we call the grace of God. It was out of that place that, the great, that what Paul would later say is a gift unparalleled in my life is what you are to me, young man. That is what you are. I have no one else like you. It came out of the place of suffering and stoning It was when he was on the edge of something that was like a nightmare. And out of that, God brought a gift. That's what we call grace. That's what we call God's ability to take the bad. That's what we're celebrating. The cross, it was awful, horrendous, unnecessary in a way. And yet Jesus says, it must be so. The Son of Man must suffer and be delivered in the hands of angry and violent men. And so let it be. He will suffer, for Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, that what was the cross and the horror of it becomes the very pathway of blessing that not only does Jesus get really moved into as he moves through the grave, but anyone who believes is brought along with him. So it is. And you know what? That's exactly what happens here. As we think about it, out of the worst, God brings the wonderful because the word is grace. The word is God's gift. Now, here's the deal, though, and I don't want to sugarcoat this. Or let's just say, I don't want to falsely promise and sell a false bill of goods, which is easy to do. But I'll say this, and it's a tr- I believe it's true. Sometimes the gift that God gives is different than the one we were anticipating and hoping for. Okay, in this case, God's grace must have caught Paul off guard. He didn't see it. He couldn't have seen it coming. How did he know? How did he know that out of that group would come the gift? Couldn't see it. All he saw were the rocks flying and how much that cost him. But as the years went by, as it began to roll out, he began to see Lystra not as a place of utter death, but as a place where God gave him a gift that he could never have gotten any other way. And who knows, maybe it was that moment that really turned the heart of young Timothy. We'll never know that. What we do know, and this is the other thing about it that I think is worth noting, that the key is, when we are walking in these lister places in life, the key is, number four, is to position ourselves in a place of faith and to keep our attitude in check. And I am going to say that. 
Because in that place, it's easy to start getting angry with God. It's easy to start letting our disappointments begin to set in. Why aren't you delivering me? I'm your, I'm, your, I'm your man. I'm your woman. I put myself on the line for you. I've been trying to be faithful to you. Why are you letting them attack me? All I was trying to do is they said, we want to worship you as gods, give you anything you want. I said, no, there, I am no God. I'm but a man. And then for that, I get this. He could have got really bitter. He could have said, Lord, you don't show up for your people. But he didn't do that. He turned around and went right back. He walked up. He was no like, oh, God's forsaken me. I don't, it's, it's like, I'm back. That, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm back to talk with you about the Lord who sustains us through all things. And that made an effect on Timothy. There's no way it didn't. I mean, and again, when the key is that I, I how we position ourselves, and I'm not saying it's going to be easy, and I'm not saying it's not going to be without struggle, but when we position ourselves by faith in, Lord, I trust you. I trust your goodness. Give me faith Lord, to just sit with you, even when I don't understand it, God, I'll just try by, if you'll help me, give me grace to, to honor you, to watch my attitude, to declare your goodness. And then what often happens is, is out of that place, God brings forth the gift that we couldn't have ever anticipated nor seen. Something happens, and it doesn't always happen all at once, and it doesn't always happen in the way we thought it was supposed to. But this is a testimony of what God can do. Later on, and you know what Timothy's name means? It means God is honored. Basically, God was honored in what Paul did, and it showed up because he had an honorable attitude, because he sought to honor God in his life. God, he created the pathway for God to bring a blessing out of what was clearly an awful thing. Later on, he would say to Timothy, listen, my, my, my young son, he wasn't, and he wasn't just writing to Timothy. He was writing to all of us. What I think is one of the, if I, I think of Timothy, the letters, this verse stands out for me. He would say, listen, young Timothy, I know you're afraid right now. But I want to tell you something. And he wrote this down. 2 Timothy 1.7. God, and you know it because you saw it. God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. That is your promise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We thank you for your words. We thank you for the way that you can do things. What a, how good is this, Lord, to remember that even out of the place of the stones comes the gem. Out of the place where it was so difficult, came the gift. So Lord, I, I pray that you would remind us to just be a people who seek to live with openness to your grace. And I invite you to surprise us with your grace. Ah, oh, God, catch us off guard. Do your work. Be patient with us, merciful to us, Lord. Teach us to be that to others too. Pray for your blessing. Look forward to where we're heading, God. Keep us in a really, try to, let's try to be intentional, Lord, in these next few weeks to really honor what you've done for us and to live into it. So I pray for your blessing. You know, bless our time of giving as our community gives. And whether we do it here or online, well, that's not the point. The point is our heart. And I, I pray that you would, you would also hear us in the closing song, which is like, it's like our final word together. So I ask that, I ask that blessing as we, as we end this service together with tender hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I pray for your blessing. You know, bless our time of giving as our community gives. And 
whether we do it here or 